Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the degree of the, of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out to the mighty God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that he that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw that what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Yeah, thanks, Amelia. That was wonderful. Um, some of you may know, the first Sunday of the month, we're doing this thing where basically kids older than first grade, they're in the service with us. We want them to be a part of the service because we really think it's really significant for their participation and formation. And uh, just to begin, kids, um, let me ask you, did you get this sheet out there? Did you see this one? If you didn't, you can still get it now. Adults, if you want to get one too, you can. Um, I don't know about you, but this, this, this is a sheet that asks, who are you? And kids, you may remember this. I remember this. When I was growing up, about elementary school, I got one of these sheets, and it had questions on it. Like, what's your favorite food? Or your favorite subject? Or what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Or it might have even said, like, who are your friends? Or who's your family? And so you'd write on this sheet, and it was all about you. It was the question of identity. And that's a really important question. But let me ask this question. What if on this sheet, instead of who are you, it said, who is the church? How would you answer that? What would you put on it? Um, I think we could say a lot of things, but let me point out today one thing I want you to think about that actually we see in our passage. If you move to the Gospel of John, there's... There's this moment where Jesus repeatedly throughout the Gospel of John uses one word almost every time he's talking about himself. It's, it's as if when he says something about himself, he can't help but mention it. And it's one word, it's the word sent. Sent. So one of the most popular verses you've probably seen in the end zone, John 3.16 this is what it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And that is repeated throughout the gospel of John over 20 times. But here's what's incredible. In John chapter 20, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he appears to his disciples and listen to what he says in, in, in verse 21. Jesus says, 
peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Did you just catch that? Jesus has been saying the whole time, I'm one who has been sent by the Father. And he says this, now if your mind, if you've been welcomed into this relationship with me, you are now sent. In other words, the who is the church, one of the main things is that this, is that we are on missions to participate with this triune God who's remaking this world through this gospel. That's who the church is. In light of this identity, you may have heard this, Redeemer City, our mission is to renew our city through the gospel. And here's just a brief snippet, because the storyline of scripture is this, is that there's a God who created us, who loved us, who lost us, and is now coming after us in the person and work of Jesus. And here's the incredible part. He invites his people to participate with him in that. So we've been in the book of Jonah. And the whole purpose of the book of Jonah is that we might grow to have the same heart, the same compassion that this God has. And this is, this is the hope. This may be uncomfortable, but the hope of this book is it actually might move us out. It actually might move you to risk and move you into relationships to participate with God on this mission. And in our passage today, this book gives us three things for us to embrace in order to faithfully live this out. So it gives us three things. It gives us a relentless call, a paradoxical message, and the very heart of God. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, um, this morning, uh, whether we're apathetic or whether we're distracted or whether we're encouraged in light of this mission, um, we pray that you would meet us here, that you would transform us and remake us to be who you've called us to be. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, a relentless call. Look, look with me at verses one through three again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. You know, if you've been tracking with the book of Jonah, you know at the very beginning, Jonah got the same commission it's actually, the, it could have been copy and pasted right here. And Jonah hears the word of the Lord to go to Nineveh, his enemies, and he goes the other direction. He gets on a boat, the opposite direction to get as far away from this mission, as far away from his God. And here's what's incredible. God comes to him again and recommissions him. Think about this for a moment. In your profession, if your boss came to you and said, hey, we've got a really important project. We, this is going to really help expand the company. Um, it's in your hands. Get after it. And you walked out the door and went the other direction. Or think about this. Uh, a lot of you are in, you know, 
in medicine, you're in the medical practice, and someone said, hey, okay, you're gonna go in here, we've got patients we need you care for, clinical, surgery, all that stuff, and you went in there, and you said, I don't like this, I'm going the other direction. Is there any chance that you would ever be invited back to be a doctor, to be a physician? You would lose it, right? Your vocation is done. And yet here, Jonah is given another chance. And friends, that's really, really good news. Um, That says a couple things. It means this. Even when God's people are distracted, apathetic, even rebellious, not obedient, God continues to give another chance. He is gracious in his call. I don't know about you, but the last few weeks we've been going through the book of Jonah, the, it, it can't help but make you reflect on your own life, on your own priorities, and your own values. And for me personally, I've noticed apathy, I've noticed self-centeredness, I've noticed looking out at other neighbors or coworkers or friends or whatever and saying, I can't, I don't have time for them. And yet, what's such good news is that God gives second chances and third chances and four chances. He is committed to getting his people on mission. But the second thing I'll say is this, is it actually is encouraging because notice that God has been patiently disruptive in Jonah's life. If you remember, the reason why he's at this point is that uh, Jonah got on a ship and then this God sent a storm. (laughs) He's that big. And Jonah decided that, you know what, it was his fault for this storm. So he said, throw me overboard. And so Jonah gets thrown overboard. We should never hear from him again. And then God appoints a fish who swallows Jonah and then vomits him back up. And that's why he's here. It means this, that God is patiently disruptive in our lives. It means that, here's the deal, the the people that God uses for his mission are people like us. Apathetic, distracted at times, even rebellious at times. That God is so committed not only to his mission of seeing his glory go to all nations, he's actually committed to his instrument, his people being a part of that. In the book of Jonah, I'll just say this, it is to be lovingly disruptive in our lives. So the first thing we see is this relentless call. And what's remarkable is that Jonah goes. Now, to be fair, if you haven't read the rest of Jonah, we'll get there the next couple weeks, Jonah is far from perfect. (laughs) Far. He is a very incomplete project. There is much work to be done, but there is something to be said about simply this. He goes. He's obedient. He listens. He's been sent. Secondly, this chapter shows us a paradoxical message. Uh, Look at verse 4 with me. 
Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, that'll get some attention, right? That's quite the message. What are we to do with that? Well, let me for a moment go to the very end of this section because this message of judgment gets all the way up to the king's ears of Nineveh. And the king says this in verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Do you hear that? In, in other words, the king is suggesting maybe this message of judgment is a message that's inviting us to turn from our ways so that God might show mercy. And here's what I want you to realize. The message of the scriptures is paradoxical. It takes things that we try to round off, that we try to smooth over, things that we don't think fit together, and it actually holds them in tension. In other words, on the one hand, the scriptures say there is a God who judges evil and is just who is merciful and is willing to forgive. One of the things that um, this guy, G.K. Chesterton, in his book, Orthodoxy, stated is that Christianity refuses to smooth over the rough edges of the world. In other words, the world is constantly saying you can reduce God to a God of love or you can reduce God to a God of justice, but Christianity actually sharpens those edges. And let's be honest for a moment, some of these edges, they kind of hurt, they kind of offend us at times perhaps. So for some, I would say this, the notion of a God of judgment who will pour out on a city anger seems regressive. But if that's where you're coming from, can I submit to you this, that Oftentimes, the reason why that offends you is because you have not experienced what many people in the world have experienced, and that is some form of injustice or oppression. Because if you've been the victim of that, you know when you're there that you cry out for fairness. You, you cry out for justice. On the other hand, some of us would reduce God to merely being a judge. In, in other words, you better follow the rules. And the problem is with this is that if, if that's how you view God and you, it's up to you, then oftentimes what you do is you look down on others who don't quite fit the conformity, don't fit the norm. In other words, they're outside being accepted to God. But don't you see here in this passage, we see both and. We see a God of justice and also a God who is merciful. And listen, this paradoxical message, do you see what it does to the city? In verse 5, it says they, they believed God. And then later on, the king says, let everyone turn from his evil and from his violence that is in his hands. It produces repentance and transformation in this city. 
And we'll talk more about what this message is in a moment, but let me just say this. Redeemer City, if we're going to be faithful in the city to live out our mission to renew our city through the gospel, it is a radically both-and message. It is not an either-or, and it is not smoothing out the edges, because when you understand who God is and what he's done, it is electrifying, it is transformative, it changes you. But thirdly, this passage invites us to embrace the very heart of God. Look at the second part of verse 3. It says this, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Now, what's interesting, that word great is actually a word used throughout the book of Jonah. And as it moves along, it's not merely... It's not merely about the size of Nineveh. It is about the size, but it actually harkens back to something about the very compassion of God. There's, um, literally in verse 3, it actually says in the original language, Nineveh was a great city to God. In other words, God has compassion on it. The very last verse of the book of Jonah says this, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? There is more than 120,000 persons. And listen, Tim Keller writes this. Here God makes a case for the importance of the city from the sheer number of the human beings in residence. He is saying, how can you look at so many lost people and not find compassion in your heart? In other words... It's not that God doesn't care about towns that are smaller. It just means if you live in a city, like we do, Madison's quarter million people within its city limits, outside of another quarter million in places like Fitchburg and other places. In other words, it's calling us actually to have compassion on the city we live in, because God has compassion. Let me put it this way. So, Oftentimes, when people move to Madison, in fact, there are more apartments in Madison than there are, like, homes. Did you know that? Madison is so transient. It's a place where a lot of people come, get trained up, and they leave. And it's a wonderful place to do that. But sometimes, I'll say this, it can be something where you can come to Madison for three or four or five years. Maybe it's your first job out of college, or maybe it's for this training here, and you come to Mass, and you, you come to it just thinking, what can I get out of it? It's a great city. What fun can I have? So many great restaurants, so many great things to go. But can I submit to you that if you embrace the heart of God, whether you're here three years or four years or five years, would you actually invest your life for the sake of the gospel in the city? Would you give your life for it? for a few years, or maybe it's longer. Or how about this? Some of us, we drive around, and one of the things that I love about Madison is people love bumper stickers. They really do. They love loudly proclaiming their cause, right? And some of those causes, I'm like, yes. And other causes, I'm like, I don't know what that is. And you know what I mean? Like that's, in some cause, I'm like, 
I can't get on board with that. But let me ask you this. When you drive around and you see those bumper stickers, and maybe you don't agree with it, do you disregard them? Do you kind of wish they weren't in the city? Or you kind of, does it kind of make you snub your nose to the city? Or do you have compassion? Because that's what we see here. This is a great city to God. In other words, he has compassion on a place like Nineveh. Listen, this book is meant to subvert our apathy and our indifference to the very places we live. It is to make us get our eyes off of ourselves and to get our eyes outward. It is not to leave us comfortable. And notice, we see the very heart of God in verse 10. Because look at what, how God responds to this top-down repentance that happens to the city. Look at, how, look at how he responds. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. So just a confession, sometimes when I'm at home, um, I'm on my phone or I'm watching the NBA playoffs and my kids or my wife will talk to me and they'll get a couple minutes in and then they'll say, hey, did you hear me? And then, you know, it's that moment where you're like, I sort of did. And I'll say, yes. And then they'll say, what did you think? And then I realize I didn't really hear them. I have been distracted, and it is their fault, of course. They should have told me or touched me or whatever, right? And these are people, right, that I adore and I love. They're remarkable. I love them so much, yet sometimes I don't even listen to them. Do you notice how God is so attentive to what Nineveh is doing? When God saw what they did, how they turn from their evil ways. What does God do? He responds. One of the passages that, when you think about God's heart, because you can maybe hear the message of Jonah and say, like, yeah, 40 days and it's overthrown, that just shows God's just a big, he's just judgy. He really likes people to really get judgment. But that would be a false picture. Ezekiel 18 says this, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And here's the deal. If we see this in the book of Jonah. But friends, if you had any doubt about the very heart of God, consider this. Centuries later, there would be another that God would send. And he would go to another city, a city that where it was his own people. And he knew he would be rejected, and he wept over the city. And he went into the city, and he did not say, 40 days, and this is done, and you're through. Rather, do you remember on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
And friends, that's not merely an example. That is God in the flesh, Jesus, taking the very justice of God and the mercy of God and bringing them together. See, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the good news. This is what will change you. These are the sharp edges that you need to embrace. <clears throat> that because of our sin, we are separated from God. But Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time, came in the flesh and died in your place. Taking the very judgment that you and I deserved, and he paid it for you. Giving you his record. Giving you mercy. And that's how that's held together. It is found in Jesus. That's the fulfillment. And listen, if you're a Christian, that changes you. That's one of those things where when you're welcomed in with that, that news, right, it ought to move you out in compassion in the same way that God has had compassion on you. So let me give you just one final word here before we close. Because this is the question of the text. Jonah hears the word of the Lord the second time, and this time he goes. And that's really what's held out before us. Do you hear the call again? Will you go? Let me give you three starting points today. Three practical ways you can say yes to going. And quite honestly, these are things any of us can do. First, who are three people in your life who are outside a relationship with God who you can just begin praying for? Second, what's one thing you could do with your free time to bless one of those people? It could be grab a coffee with them, take them out for lunch. It could be watch their kids. Third, Alex shared this yesterday. This is really helpful for me. It's the sometime principle. And he just said this, oftentimes in our relationships, and this is true for me, I have neighbors, I have friends who, maybe it's been years, but haven't talked about faith and spirituality. And he just said, this word sometimes is really helpful. So you could say something like this. You know, we've known each other for a while, and I've always wanted to know more about your faith background, spirituality. Would you be open if sometime we talked about that? Sometime. Not now, <laughs> but sometime. Let me, let me go ahead and invite up the band for a moment. Um, I'll close with this. Not too long ago, uh, I received a message from a friend who's overseas in another context. And they'd been there for three years or so. And they wrote this, that the highlight when they were leaving was the ability to give one of their friends there um, a Bible. And they talked about how for three years they'd been there getting to know this person and they'd shared regularly 
this, this good news about God's love. And at first, they were quite resistant to it. And um, yet, what happened over those three years is he watched their life. He watched how they live. And he began to notice how their lives were so different than what he'd ever known. And they'd actually offered him the scriptures several times, and each time he had declined. And that last night before they left, he asked for it. Listen, friends, living out this mission of saying yes, it is not for the faint of heart. And it is not to do it alone. In one sense, we are in this together. But secondly, it is in the very ordinary, simple, mundane moments that it happens. And it means just doing it again and again and again and again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, would you take uh, oftentimes what is my dry, apathetic, resistant heart and collectively where we are this morning, and would you work something in our lives so we would have a hint of the compassion that you have for those we know and those we don't know. But we pray this morning that Redeemer City, you would help us to more fully embrace our mission, that we do not exist for ourselves, but we exist to declare and demonstrate your greatness to this great city. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.